Last week, I asked uh, for prayer for a friend of mine named Jacques. Uh, the prayer request was about uh, Jacques having a stroke and then getting pneumonia. And um, uh, the doctors were saying that they thought over the next 24 hours would be critical that he could pass. And many of you have joined me in prayer, and I want to thank you. Uh, Jacques has uh, gotten better. Yesterday they took him out of ICU, but they brought him back in this morning. Amen. We can give the Lord a praise offering because the doctors didn't think that was going to work. They brought him back in this morning. I just found this out actually right before I walked out here. Uh, He does have pressure on his brain. Um, This is a new thing that's just happened this morning, and so he's not out of the woods yet. God has done uh, an amazing thing so far, and again, the family appreciates our prayers, but would ask that we continue to pray because he's not out of the woods yet, and uh, so please be praying for Jacques. As we have been talking about this, this, uh, these tools for wisdom, I was reminded of uh, a past, or I'm sorry, one of my professors who pulled me off to the side just before we graduated, and he said, I, w- I want to talk to you about three things that if you're going into ministry, you're going to deal with it all the time. It's going to be a part of nearly every conversation that you have in terms of uh, biblical pastoral counseling. It's going to be something that you're going to have to preach about. It's going to be something that you're going to have to live out. And by the way, it's always intention. You're never just going to have victory and it's never going to come up again. Like it's always going to be intention. So let me tell you what those three things are, Kenny. And uh, we, we sat down and he goes, um, not in any order, but I want to tell you, one of them is parenting. One parent grows up under this kind of discipline and another parent grows up under this kind of discipline and then they get married and they have expectations that are not verbalized and there is tension in disciplining children. Just so you know, it's going to come up. Okay. He said another one is finances. Finances will be a big part of, uh, uh, of the conversations that you have for similar reasons. One grows up under this sort of dynamic, another grows up under this sort of dynamic, and uh, what do you do? The Word of God has a lot to say about it, so educate yourself, Kenny. And he said, the third thing is much more difficult and is often under the surface in discussions, and that's marital intimacy and sex. And it's a conversation that is very difficult, but again, the Bible has a lot to say about it, So get used to difficult conversations, Kenny. It's going to happen. And then the fourth we found out, probably because of the advent of cell phones and uh, smartphones and the different tech that we have, communication. Communication would be the fourth one. And so as Matt and I were talking through, "Ah, what should we be uh, uh, looking at in terms of uh, Proverbs and, and what is it? These sorts of things came up. So We Today, I'll be dealing with words and communication. Um, We have seminars that address parenting, and those come up from time to time. You'll see those. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Nathan was here, and he talked about finances, preached about God's word on finances. And next week, Pastor Matt is going to be talking about uh, God's plan for sex. And so uh, it's different than the world. I'm telling you that because next week we don't have child care. And so for some of you who have 
children and you're thinking, ah, I, I really want to talk to my kids about that. I want to have this conversation separately before. Okay, so next week, we don't have childcare because we only have one service. That's the nine o'clock service. Then it's the day at the lake. So at 11, it'll be day at the lake. We'll be uh, at the lake. Um, and so if, if you're going, ah, I don't really, I'm not ready for that conversation, then you'll want to go to day at the lake for sure. If you want to be a part of it, then next week, Pastor Matt will be talking about that at nine o'clock. As a special blessing to me, if you could come back at nine o'clock and make it awkward for Matt, really appreciate that. So um, uh, he's, he's actually uh, sweating it a little bit, but he's so gifted. And, and of course, the Word of God has a lot to say about it. So uh, it'll be great. But if you can give him a hard time, I always encourage that. Uh, let's open up in prayer, and we're going to jump into the Word t- together. Lord, we, we do love you, and we thank you. And as we get into your Word today, I ask that you would give us your word for wisdom, these tools for wisdom. And Lord, I recognize that the world has done, has taken, taken these topics and they've put a spin on it that, that has very frankly been disturbing and has broken people, crushed people. And I recognize that even today, as we'll be talking about uh, words of life, I recognize that it's been our words that in many times has been more painful than any sort of fight, any sort of physical hurt that we could have. It's been words that's done a lot of damage. Because that's true, Lord, I I, I would ask that just in a, a very real way today, you would speak to us through your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And, and Lord, as we walk through your word, help us to see you as the word. Lord, the, the, the word who has become flesh and dwelt among us. Help us to have eyes to see you and that we would be able to evaluate things not according to the culture, not according to, um, I don't know, a curve that, that we like to grade on. Like, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, Lord, uh, but according to your word. So again, we want to lean into you and ask for your strength. It's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. I recognize that, that oftentimes when we're talking about some things from a biblical lens, they have been uh, handled so many times, it's been touched so many times, that really what God's plan is, is hard for us to see. We've been doing a, a podcast, uh, uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Joel and myself, and we're going through 1 John. And in 1 John, we've been talking about uh, chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, where it talks about the world system, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And on those topics that I've identified earlier, and certainly the topic today, uh, I recognize that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life has impacted us in some big ways. And so what we're going to do today is take a look at Proverbs and say, okay, well, what does Proverbs have to say about words? What, what should words do? Like, is there a specific reason that the Creator gave us words to be able to communicate? Why not just grunt and point and take things, right? Like, there must be a reason we have words. So we're going to see in Proverbs what some of those reasons are. But then we're going to pause And we're going to look at a specific biblical principle that's used in interpreting Scripture. 
And we're going to use that principle to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and look at the very beginning, how words were used, what the intention of those words were. And then we're going to move forward into the New Testament and look at Jesus as the Word of God manifest. And what that means to us as we use our words and as we live our life out as we follow and obey Christ. Does that sound good? Are we ready to do this? Too bad, because we're going to anyways. All right, well, we're in Proverbs, and uh, the Proverbs are, will be up on the screen, but I do want to encourage you to get your Bible out, highlight these Proverbs as we go through them, uh, jot notes off to the side. Uh, these Proverbs are going to talk about words and intention of words and certainly fruit of words. So that's what we'll be seeing as we read through these. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24 is where we're going to begin. And this is where it starts. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So again, gracious, it, it, it means to get something that we don't deserve. We've been extended grace. It's something that I haven't earned. And those type of words are sweet to us. They, they give life. They're abundant. They actually can give health. Uh, again, it's a fruit of the words. What we'll see as we go through this is though the, the saying is popular, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, may never, words will never hurt me. We recognize that's not true. That oftentimes it's words that have infected us and affected us uh, worse than anything. More so than any sort of physical abuse or emotional abuse that perhaps we could have had. Perhaps. Let's keep looking. Proverbs 12, verse 18. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. So rash words, uh, the heat of the moment, words that are spoken in the heat of the moment that are intended to wound, actually our words do that. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. So instead of responding in a rash way, we actually can use our words to heal. It's the beauty and the power of words. Same chapter, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Let me pause there for a second. Because sometimes we read that and we just kind of slide by it and go on to the next thing. It's important for us to understand that when we talk about the Lord, we're talking about the God of heaven. The God who there was nothing and he spoke and there was something. The God who is all-powerful and all-wise, who is able to discern the intention of our hearts despite the actions that we have. This sort of God has the ability to know right and wrong and rightly judge it. And this God, lying lips are an abomination to. You don't want to be on the bad side, the wrong side of God, right? Like, I, I think we can, we can all accept that. It says that lying using our words to not tell the truth, is an abomination. Like, God hates that. But those who act faithfully are his delight. So we can use our words to be faithful. Continuing on, Proverbs 17.4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. So again, our words can be wicked. Our words can be mischievous. Proverbs 18.2. This one and one more, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. 
A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. <coughs> it's not COVID, I promise. I just have some allergies. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so let's look at that for just a moment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. Have you ever been in a situation where you're talking to someone and maybe you don't agree on the topic and you recognize by this weird look in their face that they're not really listening to you? They're just preparing their argument? Have you ever seen that? That's, that's what this is talking about. Okay, uh, even though we're engaged in a conversation, I'm just waiting to give you the zinger that I've been preparing. That's, that's what this is. Verse 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Again, the idea is our words can be used in bad ways and in good ways. Our words can be used in bad ways and in good ways. What I'd like to do, though, is to pause and consider something. And that's called the law of first mention or the principle of, of first mention. It's a way to look at scripture. I, uh, I was wrestling through how would, how would I best define this. Um, I like the way that Dr. David Jeremiah does, and so I'm just going to quote him for you. He says it this way, those who study the Bible in a serious way sometimes refer, refer to the law of first mention. It's not so much a law, really, as a common principle in the scriptures. If you select an important biblical word, say worship, you'll find that its first biblical appearance sets the tone for all the richness of meaning that will emerge. Cindy, thank you so much. You're the bestest. My wife, everybody. (laughs) Thank you, Cindy. Everybody's like, thank you. He's so loud in the microphone when he coughs. So uh, the, the the biblical principle of first mention first of all, identifies uh, how is something used the first time it's spoken about. So that doesn't mean that's the only way we should understand it, but the first time it's spoken about is going to give us some context. He goes on to say it this way. Through the word, we go on to find many new understandings and many variations on the theme. But the first cut is the deepest. The first mention gives us the essential picture. Love that. So what we're about to do is we're going to look at the first time words are used in Scripture. Then we're going to do some observations. Uh, What happens in that? And then we're going to observe why why God uh, spoke those words. And then we're going to look ahead to Jesus. How does Jesus really embody the Word of God? And then, finally, we're going to take a a look at ourselves and say, how are we doing with our words? How are we doing? So let's take a look at this. When is the first time that words are spoken in the scriptures? You got a guess? That's right. Good job. Genesis 1-3. Way to go. Man, that was in unison too. Um, And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Before I go any further, we need to identify something, though. We are standing on the other side of the fall. We're standing on the other side of the fall. And what what I mean by that is Adam and Eve sinned. 
when Adam and Eve sinned this garden paradise where man and God walked together in this beautiful union and communion was broken. In that place where it was broken, suddenly <laughs> it, we, we went from heaven on earth to a separation from God's presence as we knew it in the garden. The damage that occurs in the garden through the fall, I think we, we won't totally understand on this side of eternity. Certainly, the Holy Spirit has been given to the believers uh, as a way of, of, of uh, making us look more and more uh, like the image of God that we were created in, certainly. But there is so much damage that I, I don't think that we're fully going to understand the impact of the fall. So when we say, let there be light, this is on the other side of things. This is before the fall. So I want to identify something here, uh, and that's the destruction of the fall has warped our view. You've been to those circus mirrors. You've seen those, right? Where it's like, that's me, but that's not how I look, but that, that's me. Uh, there is a warped view. And this warped view, I, I think, is, is maybe a sliver of what I mean. It doesn't fully unpack what I'm talking about or the, the full destruction that the fall has really done in terms of walking with God and the way that we view the world. But it does give us a picture, and it certainly reminds us, yeah, the image of God that, that God had intended in the garden is not exactly what we're seeing right now in humanity. Like, it's a little warped. It's a little warped. So, let's look back at that. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God's words speak to something. There's a reason that God is speaking in this passage. So let's talk about that. Just a, a couple of verses earlier, it begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God said, let there be light. So there is a reason that God is using words. He could have snapped he could, have, um, he could have nodded. He could have just done it without anything. But he chooses words. And uniquely, humans use words to communicate, though it's maybe a warped version of what God intended initially. So let's observe. What are some observations about the use of words that we see in Genesis 1-3? Well, there, there are a few things that we see, and let's take a look at those. Let's observe what those might be. First, God uses his words in a creative way. God uses his words in a creative way. Um, I, I, I'm debating on if I'm going to tell you this or not. Now that I've said that much, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. So I grew up in a home where sarcasm was used a lot. In fact, um, one of the things that, we, that my family would often say is, if you feel picked on, know that you're loved. And it's like, I, I don't know if that's biblical, but that, that's what we said. And sarcasm was used often in our home. And sarcasm is often a default that I go to. I, I enjoy humor that's sarcastic. Uh, 
But what I've realized is that sarcasm is also often just lazy. Sarcasm is also often uh, uh, passive-aggressive, right? When God chooses to use his words, he does it in a creative way. Like, he doesn't start with, oh yeah, of course there's formlessness, you know, right? He answers the question in a creative way. He addresses a problem with his words. His words are, are purposeful. Uh, he's not just talking to talk, to hear his own voice. Though if anyone should, I would think it would be God. But God doesn't do that. He has a purpose, and the purpose is to answer a problem formless void and darkness. What else do we observe? We observe that he reveals his plan. It's from this moment that creation uh, that really affects us starts day one, all the way through day seven. Like we see it lived out. We see this amazing creation and it begins with God saying, let there be light. And there was light. His plan is revealed initially But if we would have eyes to see, we would see that this plan that's being revealed is is actually fulfilled in Christ and ultimately will be revealed in Christ in his return. Let's keep going. His words are ultimately going to point us to Jesus. In the beginning, God created. But in the New Testament, we see it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God's words point us to the Savior. Look at that. Consider that as we consider the impact and purpose of words and the purpose of communication. Let's go ahead and break it down even more as we look at the context of Genesis chapter 1 with formless void and darkness. Uh, These passages that I'm about to share with you are not on slides. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 1. And we're going to bounce around John a little bit to uh, see these lived out. But the first one is formless. Formless means uh, confusion. It's an empty place. It's a place of chaos. So this place of chaos is what's happening. That's the first one. Void is a wasteland or a desert place. Recently, uh, my oldest son and I had the opportunity to uh, fly out to uh, California and pick up uh, my son, who's a Marine, and then we drove out to Indiana. It was a trip that my dad and my brother and I took, so it was super cool to be able to do that uh, with, with two of my sons. And, and uh, as we're driving across Arizona, there is, there's this area that it's, it's literally just sand. There is nothing growing. There's just hills and hills of sand. And you look out, you like scan the, the horizon for something sticking up. There is nothing. It is void. It is a desert place. That's the, that's the word, and that would be a good example of it. And then darkness. And darkness is a phrase that can mean obscurity. Obscurity. So, with that in mind, and since we talked about Jesus, let's, let's identify how he reflects in his life what Genesis 1-3 reveals. So go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 1 as you're turning there. I, I, I want to say this. Jesus is not created. He is from the beginning. He, he exists from eternity past. And you might be thinking, 
wow, I can't get my mind around it. Yeah, he's God. You can't get your mind around him. It's a mystery. If we could explain God, then we'd be God. He exists beyond us. And he always existed. So that's, that's one of the things that I want to share as we look at this, uh, at this in Genesis, or I'm sorry, in John, uh, in John chapter, uh, let's actually start in chapter 15. I know I said one, get over it, move on, you're fine, drink some water. Okay, John 15, uh, verse 4 is where we'll begin. So formless, the idea of confusion, a place of chaos. 15, verse 4, says this. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. How does Jesus address confusion in our life? He, he connects us to himself. He makes that empty place, that place that is, is fruitless, he attaches to himself to give life, which helps us to identify the next piece, void. And void, it, it, that's that desert place. Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, says it this way, and you, you can turn there if you like. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal kill, and destroy. So when we see those three things, steal, kill, and destroy, when, when those are evident, we know that Satan is at work. <laughs> we know that Satan is just doing what his job description dictates, steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So in this desert place, in this place of void, in this wasteland, Jesus is saying, I am there to give life. Jesus, as the word of God, uh, lives that out and extends that to us. Let's go back to chapter 1 now. Verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9, is where we'll pick it up. Darkness. How does Jesus address darkness? How does he live that out? Well, that's what we see, starting in verse 9 through 12. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is that true light that addresses darkness. Go ahead and skip down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I bring that up because Jesus makes a comment throughout the narratives that, that come out. And that is, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The, the idea of word in Greek, is the word logos. Logos has a lot of impact. It can just mean um, uh, like, like something that's sensible. It makes sense. It's logical. It can mean that. It was used by the Greek philosophers to extend beyond that to this creative power that started things in motion. 
If you're thinking like Star Wars, the force, (laughs) that would be a great idea of what the Greek philosophers meant. There was a, 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 a Jewish man in Alexandria, Egypt, who took that term, logos, and he connected it with God. And he said, no, no, it's not this impersonal force. It's actually our God who created things. He is the logos. And then we see John in the New Testament. He takes it and says, yeah, and his name is Jesus. And we've beheld his glory. And we have seen him. So if we say, if we believe uh, Jesus' words are true, and we do, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks The word of God manifest is Jesus, and he lives this out. And he does it with his words, and he does it with his actions. And so, as we come together today, we have to pause and ask some difficult questions. How are our words? Are our words extending life or taking life? Are our words creating formless void and darkness or are our words creating light and life and pointing to Jesus? As the worship team comes out in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to pause where you're at. I'm going to ask you to take a few moments just right now and and ask of the Lord, Lord, how are my words? I, I would encourage you to specifically think of the last time that you used your words in a way that wasn't consistent with the way God intended. It wasn't to extend life. It wasn't to give light. But rather, they were harsh and they hurt. And the intention was to do that. If that's you, and I would guess that all of us have been guilty at that at least at some point, if that's you, then The biblical term is repentance. It's going in one direction and being convinced that we should not be going in that direction and turning toward God. It's not, oh, this didn't work. I'll repent and try something different. I'll repent and try something different. It's repenting and turning to God. So that's that's repentance. I would encourage you, if you're in a spot where you're saying, you know what, my words... They have not been used to extend life. They do not point to Jesus. Uh, Those are not my words. Then let today be a day of repentance. Uh, If you're saying, I need the Spirit of God to work in me today, great. Allow God's work to be manifest today. In just a few moments at the end of the service, we'll have prayer ministers available. And I would encourage you today to use those prayer ministers. We know that prayer is powerful and effective and, and that God, God somehow aligns our heart with him and his will and his plan. And so taking some time with a prayer minister today may, may be exactly what God is calling you to do. I want to give you a few moments now to, uh, to deal with that and then we'll transition in just a moment. Oftentimes at the end of our services is the time for offering. And as, as, we, um, as we prepare our hearts for offering, um, it's all God's, right? What, I, what we ask regularly is that one, you would pray for us. We want to be good stewards of what God has given us always. And uh, I, I believe that Friendship Church has been doing that and is doing that. And um, because we're able to steward these resources, I, I think we're able to make an impact throughout our community. 
for God's kingdom. It's not about Friendship Church. It's about God's kingdom. And so thank you for giving. But I ask you to be in prayer again that we would be good stewards. And then secondly, I would encourage us as the offering buckets are going by to just pause before the Lord and say, Lord, I am placing myself again in your hands. Like, let this be just a symbolic spiritual gesture on a regular basis of, God, I am, I am choosing you again and again and again because I love you. With that in mind, join me as we pray for the offering. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you, Lord. And we ask that you would indeed bless this offering, that um, we would be able to be good stewards of what you have given us. And Lord, as we're stewards of what you've given us, that we would be able to reach people for you, that we would grow in you, and that you would be exalted in our lives and in our fellowship. Lord, again, as, as, we, offer, as we give our offering today, we're, we're offering ourselves to you again. Again and again and again and again. Not for the sake of uh, salvation of our souls, but Lord, as a reminder that we belong to you. And whatever your will is, we want to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.